0: This morning, I want to take half an hour to, to talk about the topic of prayer, and particularly the topic of prayer as found in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, but I want us to begin in First Timothy chapter 2. The book of Timothy, the first book anyway, is written by Paul... To Timothy, to kind of um, fill him in on things that he hadn 't quite got round to telling him when he was with him i don 't know if you 've ever done that had a conversation with someone and uh, and then half an hour after you 've left them, you send them an email because you forgot to tell them this right Anyone ever done that all the time i know <laughs> and uh, and that 's what this book is really it 's Paul reminding uh, Timothy, but also giving him instruction. And the instruction he wants to give him is, is really how to run a church. So it's kind of fascinating. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1. He says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made For everyone. I urge then, first of all, say first of all. Yeah, first of all. It kind of puts an order to it. This is what you have to do first of all. And what does he say? Prayer. It's a session, thanksgiving, like we just did a moment ago, uh, should be made for everyone. Uh, It was important in the early church for there to be prayer. And Paul says it should be done first of all. Now in the context of that what I want to do this morning is just take a few minutes to have a look around Acts and see how the people of God prayed in the early church. Because uh, as you'll know in many ways the church's mission it's not so much to become modern, but to become first century. You, you, you understand what I mean by that? We're not looking to build a 21st century church as such, although there are elements of that that are good. Uh, we're kind of looking to build a 21st century church that has as much of the DNA of the first century church as is possible to do. All right? you, you understand what I mean by that. We want to go back to the book. Amen. Amen. Go back to the original manuscript. Go back to the beginning. Run it as God intended it from the beginning. And uh, uh, So that's what we're going to do uh, today. We're going to look at the ways in which the early church uh, prayed. So uh, why don't we just have this first one. How did the early church pray? I've got five of them. And uh, let's see how far we get. Okay, the first one. They prayed constantly. Constantly. Why don't you go and have a look at Acts 1 and verse 14? Acts chapter 1 is the first account, of course, in Acts of people praying. And uh, we read here, Acts 1 14. This is before the day of Pentecost, in between Jesus ascending into heaven and. The Holy Spirit descending upon them, and it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Is that what your Bible says? Constantly in prayer, uh, along with the uh, along with the women, uh, etc. They prayed constantly. Now that's a very peculiar uh, thought, because actually it's sort of impossible, is it not? To pray constantly. I mean, for example, you got to eat, right? You got to sleep, right? You got to sleep. Of course, you can pray in your sleep. I pray with groans that cannot be uttered. Jane calls them snores, but she's just unspiritual. I once heard of a, uh, a pastor and his wife. The pastor was under great stress. And uh, he went to bed. He was a South African, so he'll be in good company here among some of you. South African. And uh, he went to bed. And uh, in the morning, he woke up and he felt great. And all the burden had lifted off him. And uh, his wife said to him, Oh, I, I heard you praying all night. Are you okay? He said, I wasn't praying all night, I was sleeping. She said, no, you were speaking in other tongues all night. He said, I wasn't. She said, you certainly were. He, the Lord enabled him to pray in his sleep. Lord, help that happen to us. They prayed constantly. And First Thessalonians, Paul says, we should pray without what? Ceasing, ceasing. We should pray without ceasing. So how could it be, how can we kind of make this work in our ordinary lives? Obviously, we cannot pray all the time. (coughs) However, there is a way for us to remain in the presence all the time. Can you say amen? A sense of not uh, uh, putting God in a sort of a compartment of our life that says, I pray at this time, at this place, but I don't pray at any other time or in any other place, but rather having the sense of God's presence being with us constantly. Uh, If Jane and I are uh, separated, you know, like she's away or I'm away, uh, or if you're away from someone that you care about, it's not so much that you are always on the phone. But you are always in touch, right? You are always in touch. And I think that we can have that experience with God as well, of always being in touch. Even though we may not always be um, um, praying, you know. I think it was Wigglesworth who said, who was once asked, he's a great uh, miraculous ministry, and someone once said to him, how much do you pray how much do you pray? And he said, I never pray for more than 20 minutes. And they all looked at him shocked, like, well, doesn't sound much to me, 20 minutes. He said, but I'm, I'd never go 20 minutes without praying. And he'd learnt that sense of always being in the presence of the Lord. So the first way that the early church prayed and the way that we should pray as we aspire to be a first-century, 21st-century church, is that we should pray constantly or without ceasing, always being in the presence of the Lord. Let's go for let's go for another one. They prayed corporately. That means they prayed together. In the same chapter, you're in, chapter one, and uh, verse 24. Uh, In that same same passage, they prayed together. Here they're praying about who to appoint into apostolic leadership, but they pray together. And uh, so the early church prayed constantly, but they also prayed in the company of others. In Acts 4.24, you can look at it if you like, they gathered together to pray when they were uh, facing some problems with the authorities. It's really important to gather together to pray. It's really important to do that. There's something about being together when we pray that is, maybe it's something to do with our senses. You know, maybe it's just an experiential thing rather than a theological thing, maybe just how it makes us feel. I don't know, except that I know this, that when we are together praying, there's just nothing quite like it. And you'll know yourself that it's a lot easier to pray with others uh, many times than it is to pray by yourself, because you're encouraged by others. Uh, You're motivated by them. You can amen with them. That they can spur you on. Prayer warriors are never intended to be alone. They are intended to teach others how to pray also. And so others can be inspired. The early church were people who prayed together. They prayed together. And if we believe in praying together, we will pray together. There's no substitute. You can't say that you believe in prayer, but not show up to pray. That's just not intelligently true, is it? What you do is what you believe. What you believe is what you do. You don't believe one thing and do another. If you do something, you're merely stating what you really believe. And so I want to encourage you As we go into this particular week, and this message will be heard by many, many people all over the place, not just today, but in this particular day, we're about to go into a week of prayer, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. It's good to pray together. Maybe the early church remembered what Jesus said when he said this in Matthew 18, wherever what, two or three shall gather together in my name, There am I in the midst of them. Two or three. Many church leaders up and down Britain are thrilled with that verse. As they look out at those who have gathered together to pray on special occasions. Well, hallelujah. We got two. Might just be the leader and a cat wandered in. But we got two. We got two. Maybe they remember that. There is just a sense of when... Believers come together to pray that Christ is in the midst of them. And that's what Jesus meant, by the way, when he said if two or three should agree on anything, then it should be done for them. It's not the power of the agreement. May I dare to say that? Because lots of people use that phrase. It's not the power of the agreement. It's the power of the Savior who comes in the midst of of the believers. And you may think that's the same thing, but it's not quite. It's not agree People will call me up one time and say, I want you to agree with me in prayer about this. And re- sometimes I have to say, well, I can't agree. I don't know all the facts. They think, well, what sort of pastor are you? And they look up the Baptist leader down the street. I can't agree if I don't know everything. It's, but it's not really about that. It's about the presence of Christ in the midst. When we gather together, Jesus has promised. In fact, it's more than a promise. It's a fact. To be in the midst. Hallelujah. So they prayed constantly. They were always in touch with God. They prayed corporately. They prayed together. Let's have a look at a third. They prayed earnestly. Now, I want you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 12. And verse 5, they prayed earnestly. Now, this has been a difficult word to translate. And across the room, there may be different uh, translations of this in the English uh, version of the Bible. This is the story of how Peter was uh, locked up in um, prison. And uh, they were very worried about him. And... uh, I don't know if they were worried about him because they loved him or maybe they were worried about him because he was about to do some sort of um, a convention at the local Jerusalem hotel. I'm not sure which. But they wanted him out of jail. And it says, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, some translations say they, they prayed constantly. If, if, um, do Some of you had that and it's because it's a very difficult word to translate. What it literally means is they prayed uh, stretched for him. What you determine yourself what that means. They stretched themselves out to pray for him. Now, I don't think that necessarily means they all came to the front and, you know, yeah. who can stretch the furthest, you know. You could try it, I suppose but I think the tall people may win. <laughs> what it literally says is they, they stretched themselves in prayer for him. And what the translators have not known is, does that mean they prayed all the time? You know, they stretched themselves. You know, they, they prayed all the time. Or does it mean that they were fervent in prayer? And I want to suggest to you, that it most likely means the latter. That they were stretched with passion for him. Their emotional response to him being in jail created something in them that prayed with fervency. They were stretched. In another uh, verse, it's it's Acts 4 and it is verse uh, 24, it says this, when they gathered together to pray, They lifted up their voices to God. Now, here's where I need to be careful because I respect fully many, many different kinds of Christian traditions. I meet many uh, different pastors and leaders just in this city alone with all kinds of different ideas about how to pray. And I'm not going to suggest today, in any sense, that there is a certain way to pray. And the only way to pray is like this, you know. I better not do that. I'm not suggesting that. Because the Bible says in the book of Samuel, that Hannah prayed and no sound came out of her mouth. Amen. But God heard it. So she wasn't running around the auditorium shouting hallelujah. She was quiet. However, however, you may be a a quiet kind of person, but do you know what I've witnessed? I've witnessed many Christians who are very, very quiet until the football is on. Or the rugby. Well, we pray quietly here. Oh God, please will you move in our land? And then the football's on, and it's, oh, come on! What are you doing? And don't tell me that the football is a bit more important than the revival in the land. Amen. Amen. They stretch themselves to pray. They lifted up their voices to God. People say, well, there's no need to pray loudly. God isn't deaf, you know. I know. He's not nervous either. (laughs) He doesn't go to the angels and say, they're shouting at me down that street. I've had to turn them down. He's not sitting on a couch. Everyone's shouting at me. When we got married, it's just a few days after we got married, I think, we were traveling someplace. I think we're going to see my parents. Anyway, we were on the M25. You know that, that giant... Uh, free car park in the um, and uh, uh, we had such a strange we've been away a few days we had a very strange experience we went to a car park this week in a village and you didn't have to pay to park there I felt funny I felt like I wanted to push a five pound note in the machine I didn't feel right but I, I've been here more than 20 minutes. They must take five pounds. Now, we were on that giant car park, the M25, and we were driving. And as we're driving, suddenly, we're just chatting away, you know. We just got I think we just got mad. Jane will tell me later if, this is, if I've got this in the right order or not. And uh, suddenly Jane <laughs> says, if you can say says, Ah! Um, Do you remember this episode? It wasn't your fault. For the record, it wasn't her fault. No, it wasn't. But uh, we'd had to break. And the person behind us was, you know, on the mobile, smoking, on the iPod, watching TV. I don't know. They didn't. They weren't looking. So we're just chatting away, you know. It's rather disconcerting when you're chatting away, and and I say something like, you know, how do you think our marriage is going, or something like that, and <laughs> <laughs> and she says, Ah! I thought, I wanted to look at her and go, come out of her. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't have time because she saw in the mirror what I didn't see. Which was a car coming towards us. Anyway, we were all right. Here we are today. Everything was all right. Many years ago, about 20, maybe 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I was in a, a play, an Agatha Christie type play you don't know what that is. It's like a murder mystery play. And I, spoiler alert coming up, I was the murderer in the play. That was great, isn't it? It was at uh, the Babacombe Theatre in Torquay. And I was the murderer. Hey, I wanted that part. But I, would, I was playing like a, uh, you know, like a lunatic. I don't know why they cast me. <laughs> They wanted someone who, was a, who could be a lunatic and looked like he could kill an old lady. <laughs> so I just walked in and I didn't speak. He said, you're the man. <laughs> I'm exaggerating this story terribly. But anyway, I was playing a lunatic and I did murder an old lady in the play. <laughs> and at one point I was in handcuffs and, and I had to go, you know. a very similar noise. Yep, like that. (laughs) Give it 15 years and you can do it. I made a very similar noise to the noise that Jane made in the car. But there's a difference. Hers was real and I was acting. Now, you remember we're talking about prayer? We're not looking for people to be acting right you have to come and jump around in prayer shout and scream like the prophets of Baal thinking that if you shout god will do it elijah was very calm and spoke the word in faith all right so i just listen to get some balance however when you see the desperate need sometimes you ought to shout Sometimes, we're not talking about acting, but sometimes when you see the need, you ought to be moved to the point where your emotions are being connected with your praying. So they prayed constantly. They prayed corporately. They prayed stretched out earnestly. And of course in Acts 13, verses 2, verses 3, they fast as well. Fasting is normal. Say amen. amen. It's normal. It's a normal thing to do. Jesus said, when in uh, Matthew chapter 6, he spoke about the three disciplines of the Christian life, the three spiritual disciplines. There are many disciplines, of course. He said, when you pray... When you give, when you fast. Right? When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who are actors in the street. Similar to what we've just been saying. He said, When you give, don't do it with all bells and whistles. And when you fast, don't walk around going, ooh, ooh, so terrible. Are you fasting? Oh no. Ooh. Don't do that. But he said, "You, you, you, you can do that at home. Just don't do it in public, right?" <laughs> we do all sorts of things at home. But he said, "Those are the three disciplines: when you give, when you pray, when you fast." Praying isn't optional as a disciple. Giving's not optional as a disciple, and fasting's not optional. You may have some medical uh, challenges that give you some exemption. I fully understand that. But uh, but for the majority of us, God calls us to fast as well as pray. And that's all part about stretching ourselves out. Okay, what's the next one? We prayed individually. There's two instances of this. Acts 10 verse 9. Acts 22 verse 17. I'll just tell you what they are. Acts 10 is um, Peter going up onto the roof to pray by himself. In Acts 22, we read about Paul, verse 17, he prayed by himself. I want to ask you this, do you pray by yourself? Because, uh, as I've sort of put here, there can be no personal relationship with anyone without privacy. Let me ask you this, have you got some people in your life, you know, that you only really See them in the company of other people. Like, you know, imagine, uh, imagine my wife has some friends. And we go and see them. And suddenly my wife says, oh, I, I want to go to the bathroom. And she leaves the room. And I'm sat there with her friends. You think, I don't know who you are. Or vice versa. There are certain people that we're only with them with other people. Right? And suddenly, you can have this happen to you. You might work with them. There might be family members even. (laughs) And suddenly, you're alone with them, and you don't know what to do. You don't know who you're supposed to be. Because your relationship with them is only ever part of someone else or with someone else. Many know that I have a stepdaughter, Emily, uh, who I'm very proud of. And uh, in the, I remember the early, early days, there came a time when it was just me and Emily on our own. And I'd only ever had a relationship with Emily, with Jane, you know. And suddenly, Jane... It's gone. She's on the M25 screaming or something. I don't know. But she's gone. And it's just me and M. And suddenly, we have a totally different relationship, actually, than when Jane is there. It's just normal. It's just how human nature works. But my relationship with Emily, really, my real relationship with her, only exists when we are alone together. I want to take that to the, to the spiritual. You can't have a relationship with God on the basis of your church's relationship with God. You have to have your own relationship with God. Right? There is no relationship with anyone without privacy. You can't have a proper relationship with anyone without privacy. God wants you to be private with him. He wants you to be like Abraham, the friend of God, who walked before God and knew God, or like Enoch did, not dependent on others. And can I say this to you? When I came to the Lord, I was 18 years old And I was the only one in my family who knew the Lord. And that's true of some people here I know. And I don't want anyone to think that that is actually a disadvantage. Because it meant that I had to have my own relationship with God. Nothing to do with my family. Nothing to do with being socially accepted. Right? I had to have my own relationship with God. And so do you. And I continue to need it. And you continue to need it. So how did the early church pray? They prayed privately too. They knew Jesus for themselves. And as I've often said many times, there are great evangelical churches, whether they be Pentecostal, Charismatic Baptist churches, whatever they may be, we're really good at telling people that they mustn't have religion. What they need is a relationship with Christ. And we sometimes are the very people who don't have that real relationship, we have a religion too, except it's just noisier. Or it's got more music in it. Or it's more exciting. But we have as much religion as anybody else sometimes. And and it's true, by the way, that what is important is a relationship with God, not religion. And we must continue to preach that, But let me heartily encourage all of us to continue to live that as well, as well as um, preaching it. I think I've got one more. Have I got one more? There we go. Expectantly. They prayed expectantly. Turn to Acts chapter 9, and let's see an example of this. Praise God. Here the story is of little Dorcas who's ill. And she dies. And Peter goes to pray for her. And it says this in verse 39. Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Here was a man who knew what it was to talk to the Holy Spirit privately. He sent them all out of the room and he got down on his knees. He stretched himself out. He was moved emotionally. It wasn't casual, but he fell to his knees and prayed. And then the next verse, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, seeing Peter, and sat up. Hallelujah. These things still happen today. But notice, as faced with this need of a great miracle, He knelt down and prayed and was expectant. And we have to believe what we pray about. Let me say this. Believing what we're praying for is not denying the facts in front of us. It's no credit to God and certainly not to you to claim to be cured when you're not, pretending you're better when you're not, Don't walk around going, you know what? I'm a millionaire. I don't need cap money. When you're in debt, just because you prayed, and God wants us to apply wisdom too. So we're not talking about, when we're talking about believing prayer, we're not talking about denying the facts. But there is a place to pray, to believe, And then to live out in expectation and hope that God is going to come through. That's what Peter did right here. He prayed and then he simply believed. Little girl, wake up! Or get up! And she woke up. Raised from the dead. No choir singing. No cameras were there. No reporters from Charisma magazine. How on? We have to pray believing. What's funny is, in Acts chapter twelve, the church was still learning this. Just this our final verse. So why don't we just go go have a look at Acts chapter twelve and verse fifteen. Peter's in prison. They've been stretched out in prayer for him. And uh, the angel comes and releases him, right? You know the story? The angel shows up and the doors open all by themselves. I, I love that, by the way. The doors open by themselves. It's like going into Tesco, isn't it? Sometimes I'll be watching a bit of Benny Hinn. I see him do the old, you know, whoosh. And five minutes later, I'll be down at the Bar Hill Tesco, walk through the door, and i go. <laughs> <laughs> and it opens, it opens, opens by itself. Oh, the anointing on me. But they prayed. They stretched themselves out. They prayed. They weren't acting But they were touching something in God. And God sent an angel, released him. And he comes to the house. I love this. He comes to the house. They're all praying in there. Oh God, we believe you're going to release Peter tonight. They all go, Amen. And Peter comes, he knocks on the door. And then we get to chapter 12. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, it's Rhoda, uh, the servant girl. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. Oh, well, I really, if he was really annoyed, the door should have opened by itself, don't you think? He must have sinned on the way. Only just seen that, by the way. That'll probably get edited out of the... Um, um a t- transmitted version of this anyway so she runs away from the door and she runs into them they're all praying oh god release peter tonight you're going to open the doors you're going to do this and she runs in and she says peter's here what do they say you stupid woman Verse 15, you're out of your mind. They told her, but when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Well, It can't really be true. They were all praying about it all night. And when it actually happened, well, that can't be true. Well, I want to encourage you because lots of us are a bit like that as well. Lots of us are a bit like that as well. I was watching a video of our dear friend Nathan Morris over the weekend, ministering in uh, Alabama. And uh, there's a wonderful clip of a lady, 22 years, not able to walk, and she stands up and walks. And all the crowd go crazy, and Nathan's on the platform, and he says this, he says, I can see it with my eyes, but my brain can't quite make it out, or something like that he was basically saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. There's a story of uh, Stephen Jeffries, the great Welsh healing evangelist who put his fingers into the eyes, the oh, I should say the eyeless sockets of a person. And as he put his fingers into the just the sunken eye sockets where no eyes were. His thumbs were pushed back by the sudden formation of eyes. Fully created by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that story is told all over the world. Put Stephen and Jeffries into Google. Eyes and you'll read that story. but an old, old pastor by the name of Paul Mercy who lectured at the Bible college that I went to. Once told a group of students, he said, can you keep a secret? And they said yes, but none of them could. Can you keep a secret? Shall I tell you what he told them? Paul Mercy said he was sat on the platform as Jeffrey's put his fingers in that person's eyes. I want to say a girl, but it may not have been a girl. And as the eyes were formed, he overheard, now this didn't get in the magazines, it's not in the books. <laughs> he overheard Stephen Jeffries, one of the leading ministers in power and healing in the world at that time. He overheard Jeffries say this, my God, surely." Not. <laughs> Friends, let's believe our beliefs. And if sometimes you don't believe, don't worry. God seems to still send the angels anyway and do mighty things. So let's be a church that prays. First of all, Paul says, prayers, intercession. Thanksgiving. Let's be a church that prays, and let's be a church that prays like they prayed, constantly, staying in touch, corporately, praying together. You've got opportunity not just to say amen today, but to get your shoes on and come this week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're going to pray together. They prayed earnestly or stretched out, not acting. But with passion. They prayed on their own as well. And they prayed believing. Let us pray.